Our dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the word and for this gospel, the gospel of Mark. And we all come from different backgrounds. We come from different faith levels. We all have our different in place in our journey, Lord. But the Spirit of God is so amazing and so wise that he's able to know us and take us just one step forward, one step further. So I ask in the name of Jesus today, every single person, every single person would get something and be able to work with their faith, be able to work their way one step forward at least. So I invite you to speak to us and teach us, Lord. Open our eyes that we see wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles. This is the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible or you have a Bible on your phone, then you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And we're picking up from verse 16 because we finished 15 last time. I enjoy my mornings uh, praying with you. I just enjoy recording that and sending it out to you every morning. Just a quick prayer for you, for your work, for your day, for your relationships, for your safety for the day. I read Mark, Mark's gospel for you and I'm enjoying doing that. Some people said, hey, why do you stop at Friday? Why don't we have Saturday and Sunday? So I've decided to go with Saturday and Sunday as well. And some of you are still praying along with Thursday's, uh, Thursday's prayer. That's fine. Doesn't matter as long as, as long as it's a prayer. But if you haven't yet subscribed to that, make sure that you're, um, that you're getting uh, Telegram and not uh, missing out on the notifications. Why the Gospel of Mark? Because it's the story of Jesus and we want to be familiar with the story of Jesus. We come from all sorts of backgrounds and muddled up teaching, some clear, some unclear. We want to know about the Bible. We want to know the purposes, the parables, the prophecies, because the Bible is in stories. We should know the stories. And, we want, and the goal is to know what happened and who said to whom and be part of that. All right. So once again, I challenge you to Instagram Jesus, put him out there. Make sure people know what you're learning and how you're growing. Last week, last time we talked about how Jesus was confirmed by God the Father. Do you remember the baptism? Jesus was confirmed by God the Father. Jesus was compelled by the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness, and Jesus was consumed by a mission. He wanted to preach. He wanted to preach. We're picking up in verse 16 here, and I essentially want to just work through the passage. Just work through the passage so that everything is familiar. I could take off and tell you my own thing, crack a few jokes, you know, but I really want you to be familiar with the text uh, as well. Verse 16, passing along the Sea of Galilee, passing along the Sea of Galilee. Now the shores of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee was going to become the stage for Jesus's ministry. A lot was going to happen on the shores of Galilee, across the Galilee, the storm in chapter 5, all sorts of things and the, and, and the demon uh, exhaustion, uh, you know, exorcism at the end of uh, on the other side, all sorts of stuff at the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the whole fish miracles, the storm miracles, everything right there. And he's now picking up his crew. Jesus is picking up his team. He's got a mission. He's cleared by God. Baptism over, wilderness over. Now time to start business. He's 30 years old and he's got three years. He's on a timeline. Date for date, hour for hour, he's following the, the divine clock and he now needs to pull together his crew, his team, the guys. And he goes straight to the shores of Galilee and there on the, on the water and on the beach, he finds Simon, who later became? Hello, who later became? Peter. 
So Simon, Simon Peter, we call him Peter later, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, so two brothers, and they were casting, they were casting their net into the sea. So they must have been on the water, casting their net into the sea, because they were fishermen. <laughs> if they were not fishermen, we'd be really confused about the whole net thing. Uh, maybe they were online students. Casting a net into the sea, as they were fishermen. Jesus calls them, and they left their job, they left their work, and they followed Jesus. They left Immediately dropped it, left, followed Jesus. I'm not getting too spiritual into everything. Everything is not Da Vinci Code, you know what I mean? Everything doesn't have to do, oh, spiritual lesson here. No. Read the story, tell the story, believe the story. That's it. And Jesus said to them, who? Simon and Andrew. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers. I will, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus, when he asks you to follow him, doesn't leave the onus on you. Jesus, when he asks you to follow him or to believe in him, he gives you the faith to believe in him. He gives you the strength to walk with him. He gives you the reason to stick around. He gives you the faith that you need. Did you understand that? Did you understand that? This is not religion. This is not religion. Religion is when you're doing everything on your own. But when Jesus calls you, he gives you his word, he gives you his spirit, he gives you his presence, he gives you his promise, he gives you his impetus, he pushes you from the back, he leads you from the front, he encourages you on your day, on your low days, and he knows that you're made of dust. He knows that you're a ball of emotions. He knows that you have good days and bad days. And he says, I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. He takes the onus and you're not going to see that anywhere else. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you that is discipleship, that is training. I will make you fishers of men. Now, fishers of men was a local phrase. In the Greek, it was a local phrase to be uh, 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 an opinion leader, to be someone who changes minds, to be someone who wins people's minds intellectually. So they, they were familiar with this phrase. So he says, you are fishermen. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you're going to catch something that's going to last for eternity. I'm going to work with that. And immediately, and then you'll see the word immediately if you're in my ESV version, you'll see the word immediately, but that's not even in the original. I looked it up. It's not in the original. It's more like, you know, how we tell stories and then what happened? And then what happened? And then, then what happened? It's more like that. So it's not like chronologically right after that, we've got an immediately, but the translators put that word in. It means more, there was a sense of urgency, there was an immediate response, and immediately they left their nets. They left their nets and followed him. They left their nets, they left their work, they left their nets, that was their livelihood. That was how they got their rupee. That was how they got their bread and butter. They left it to follow him. What do you think they believed? Where do you think that was going to come from? What do they hear in their heart when a man just walks down the shores of Galilee, tells you to leave your career, leave the work that you're doing and follow him? Now, every Christian, every pastor in the past will be like, this is what Jesus has called you. He's not called you to leave your work. He never called you. He never came to, the, came to the Sea of Galilee. And he didn't say, leave your job and follow me. He was calling the 12. In fact, he was calling 70. And the 70 had men, women, all sorts. But he specifically picked 12 who would be the martyrs. Because faith, revival, and the gospel is built on the foundation of spilt blood. 
It's built on the foundation of the life of the martyrs. And these 12 men would give their lives, every single one of them. They would give their lives for Jesus. So he was specifically dealing with those who would become the sent ones. And what is the word sent one? Apostle. They would be the sent ones, the starter operas. So Jesus was speaking to these guys. So don't take everything and say, oh, Jesus is calling me. Jesus is telling me to do this. That is bad theology and that is bad exegesis. That's not the way you look at the text. If it's a story, it's a story. If it happened then, it happened then. When there's a principle that is what we call timeless, it happened then, it happens now, and it always happens, that's when you begin to take it personally or you begin to take it corporately. Okay. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed them, left their livelihood and followed him. Okay. Next two, Jesus was, walks up a little further more. The cameras follow him and going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, two more brothers. So we got a family thing going here, two more brothers. And they were in their boat, mending the nets. The other two were casting the nets, these two were mending the nets, casting the nets, mending the nets. Is there a spiritual lesson in that? No. Don't get too deep. They were just doing two different things. And they were doing their job. They were busy with their work. They were, they, they were oblivious to the fact that the Son of God was on the beach. They didn't know what was going on and they were just carrying on with their careers. And Jesus went to their workplace and called them to follow him. Jesus went to where they were. Jesus went to where they were. He didn't say, you search for me, find me, you come looking for me. And if you make it through all the levels, I will. He went looking for them. He knew who he was calling. When he went to the Samaritan woman, John 4, he knew who he was calling, the woman at the well. He went to, when he went to Zacchaeus, he knew who he was after. And when he comes for you, when he comes for you, he knows you. He knows what you're going through. And he comes to you. Because the shepherd goes to the sheep, the sheep don't go to the shepherd. When the sheep is lost, the shepherd goes looking for the sheep. You don't badger the sheep saying, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost, you're lost. GPS, GPS, lost. You don't badger the sheep. You ask the shepherd, go look for him. So, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, he called them. And they left their father. So the first ones left their nets, that's their livelihood. The second one left their father, that's family. And God is going to expect a price to be paid. God is going to expect a sacrifice. There will be some leaving and cleaving. There will be some sacrifices in this discipleship call to these disciples, to these who would become the apostles. And the hired servants, he left all of them, left family and followed him. Now, let's move into it. If you remember, I introduced the Gospel of Mark as Mark looking at Jesus' role as the second Adam. He's coming in to take back what Adam lost. He's coming to take back what the devil has, uh, has, has, has plagued, what he has, uh, his, his playground and what he has, has ravaged. So sin has ravaged and Satan has ravaged and Jesus is coming into his territory taken. So what you're going to find in Mark is a lot of demonic activity. A lot of demonic activity. So Jesus is going to go in and he's going to heal and he's going to set free from demons. Heal and set free from demons. Heal and set free from demons. This is not just hooky pokey. This is not just magic. This is not just 
power on display. This is not just some ministry. Jesus had a purpose what he was trying to do. And when he moved forward, he was taking ground. He was taking ground. He was winning back creation that he made, Colossians chapter 1. And he was taking back ground that Satan had taken, which was rightfully his. So now I'm in, we start introducing the demonic presence and the deliverance from bondage and his ministry begins there. So if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61 and when Jesus goes into the synagogue and he opens the scroll and he reads Isaiah chapter 61 and he reads five things for the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do one, two, three, four, five. Look it up later. Isaiah chapter 60, uh, 61 verse one and the first part of two. And interestingly, it's not the whole thing he reads. He stops and I've come to declare the year of jubilee the year of god's favor and he stops there closes the scroll and puts it away closes this because after that comes judgment after that comes judgment he's not come to bring judgment but he's come to bring salvation come to set the captive free come to heal the heal the uh, brokenhearted he's come to open the eyes of the blind so we have the fivefold ministry of jesus and you're going to see these two things demonic deliverance and you're going to see healing and you have to ask yourself, was this just a miracle worker walking around doing funny stuff, great stuff, amazing stuff, so that his words would have more power? No, no, because Mark chapter 16 very clearly says, Mark chapter 16 very clearly says, the signs and wonders that he did confirm the spoken word. It confirmed the spoken word, not the other way around. The signs and wonders didn't make you believe the spoken word. You believe the spoken word and the signs and wonders confirmed your faith in the spoken word. Today it confirms our faith in the written word. Okay, so deliverance begins to happen and people are unfamiliar with this kind of thing. Let's move forward. Verse 21. And they went, is this going too fast? Are you guys okay? Are the verses on the screen? Yes? You're not watching ZTV in your, in your head? You're still here? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum. It's a city. They went into Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, like the Sea of Galilee, we said that was a stage. This is also a stage. In fact, Peter set up his office on, on, on Ring Road of Capernaum. He, was, he, he based his operation there. And this was a place where Peter and the other apostles would later, for the next 20, 20 30 years, uh, run their business. So Jesus went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath. What day was it? It was the Sabbath day. So remember from a Jewish mind what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. He went into the Sabbath, went in, uh, into the synagogue there on the Sabbath day, and he began to teach. Let me tell you something about synagogue. Sunagoge, synagogue simply means gathering or congregation, the gathering of people. Now, Jews long before the whole system started and synagogue started would just gather in groups, study groups, fellowship groups, and they would talk about their faith and they would argue and they would, they would discuss and they would, there would be a meeting of the minds. In fact, when Jesus was 12 years old, he went to one of these situations and he was asking questions and answering questions. So these people built their faith by spending time in circles and asking each other questions and answering those questions and growing in their faith together. It was always a community thing, intellectually, not just emotionally and physically. So they would gather together. And these gatherings began to be known as a synagogue and sooner or later they built a building around those chaps to give them some shelter and those came to be known as synagogues so he went into the synagogue and he was teaching now who is jesus who is jesus jesus is a young man he's grown up as a carpenter's son but he is now teaching in the synagogue you think anybody can walk into a synagogue and start teaching i don't think so you have to be recognized as a rabbi to be able to teach the rabbinical 
training is intense and you have to come from a specific school of a rabbi like for instance paul the apostle was from the school of gamaliel he was from the rabbinical school of gamaliel he studied under gamaliel now jesus would have also gone through the process why did he have to go through the process he already knew everything he was already at the age of 12 he was he was baffling their minds why did he have to go through it because he was going to identify with you because he was going to keep the law he wasn't going to break the law he was going to break tradition he's not here to destroy culture destroy tradition destroy everybody he's here to redeem so he followed it and even though he knew everything and in fact he's the author of the very thing they're studying he says in the volume of the book it is written of me if you search the scriptures you will find me all of that even though all of that was true he came he studied he certified himself and he was known as a rabbi which is why he could walk into any synagogue and have an acceptance which is why he could take the scroll and go straight to Isaiah chapter 61 and then say the only difference is this the only difference is this verse 22 and they were astonished they were astonished at his teaching are synagogue rabbis same teaching decades of same teaching why were they astonished why were they astonished what was so great did he give illustrations huh did he tell jokes did he use powerpoint what was so astonishing about a regular rabbi coming into the synagogue and teaching isaiah chapter 61 the answer is exousia exousia and they as they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one who had authority as one who had authority because every scribe he says not like the scribes did every scribe would come in they would open the text you know roll it out they would open the text and they would tell you what one rabbi or another rabbi or so and so rabbi said about this text did you get that scribes would open the scroll and they tell you what rabbis have said about the text it's kind of like seminaries but here jesus comes and he says this is what i say you've heard it said but i say unto you he opens the scroll and reads it like it is talking about him Isaiah chapter 61 the spirit of the lord is upon me and that changed everything now you have the author reading out his own letter to him to you you have the author reading out his own letter to you fabulous amazing the follower of jesus christ has the holy spirit and the holy spirit is the author and writer of the text and the beauty of this inspiration the beauty of this revelation is not just that you read a book that was inspired by somebody else you follow teachings that was was an inspiration to somebody else someone else received the enlightenment someone else received the inspiration someone else received this word from somewhere somebody else figured this out and now they passed it on to you now you have to put your you have to stake your life on somebody else's enlightenment somebody else's claim to fame claim to the truth somebody else's perspective see if i am going to believe this as a revelation from god then i must also be told directly by that 
God that this is his revelation. There needs to be a double confirmation. First, I am confirmed that the, people, that the person who received that revelation received it from God. And that can only happen if God confirms to me that that is in fact the case. So the Bible is the word of God. It is the living text. It is the scripture. It is not where you just guess and hope and pick and choose. The Holy Spirit who wrote the scriptures over a 40-year period, over, 1500, over 40 authors, 1,500 years apart, and bound the whole thing together, stitched the whole thing together, comes to you, and when you open the text, and you read something that's anywhere from 1,000 years old to 2,005, 3,000 years old, you read it, the same Spirit of God that brought enlightenment to them, brings light to you and opens your eyes. Hebrews chapter 6 opens your eyes to see that it is the truth. To see that it is the truth. If he was inspired, if he was enlightened, then the person who enlightened him must tell me that what he enlightened him with is the truth and confirm the truth as that enlightenment. And the Bible comes with the Spirit of God. The Bible comes with the Spirit of God. And Jesus says, the Spirit of God was upon me. And therein lay the authority of Christ. Remember, if there is a book of truth, if there is a true book, there will also be a false book. If there is a true faith, there will also be a false faith. If there is a true walk, there will also be a false walk. Where there is truth, there will also be a lie. Be careful. Open your eyes. Study. And ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you. Deliverance begins. They enter Capernaum. Sabbath day. Synagogue. He's teaching. And they were astonished by his amazing authority. Not like the scribes. And while this is happening. And he's in the middle of the teaching. Suddenly in the synagogue. A man with an unclean spirit. Shows up. A demon possessed man. You don't see a whole lot of that today. You don't see a whole lot of that today. Now there are two beings. There are human beings and there are spirit beings. There are no ghosts. There are no ghosts. And funny, all your ghosts seem to be the same size as you. You need to think about that. We always think of ghosts as the same height and size as us. Why are they not miniature ghosts? And why aren't they not ginormous ghosts? They always seem to be the same size as us. I always had a problem with that, you know. So I think that that's definitely the work of our own minds. But a spirit, uh, 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 an angel, is a being. And that being is experienced by the presence. You can feel the presence of that being, angelic being. You can feel the presence of God. God is spirit. You can sense the presence of a being. Now these angels who had fallen and who are bound to earth and later will be cast into hell, Revelation 19, Revelation 20, they are here and they are they are bound on earth and we know the story, read the story. But the, the problem really is, is that there is every now and then a crossover. And they are trying to take territory. And what is territory? The heart of man, the creation of man, uh, God's own handiwork. So that's what you happen. Now when Jesus comes, who is the son of God, suddenly there is this disturbance. There's this disturbance and we, feel, we seem to see a lot of demonic activity happening around Jesus. Obviously, there'll be a disturbance. Christ has come himself and you'll see that in just a bit. So there's demonic di disturbance and we've answered the question who demons are. He comes in and he cries out, what have you to do with us? He cries out, what have you to do with us? Did you get that? He 
is speaking for a bunch. He's speaking for all of them. At least there's some unity there. And he cries out, he says, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to, read it, destroy us? Where did you think he got that idea from? Where do you think he got that idea from? Now, it's not the man speaking, it's the demon speaking from within him. And you could see this in some parts of the world. You, some of you are familiar with it. Some of you have never seen it, never experienced it. Sometimes it's even hard to believe that it exists, but it's true. Have you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know, now he goes back to me, I know who you are. Full, finish it. The? Loudly? Demons know who Jesus is. Demons know who Jesus is, okay? And these demons knew. He's screaming out, I know who you are. The disciples are yet to make up their mind and believe. People are trying to figure out who this Jesus is. Carpenter's son, what's happening? Seems to be speaking and teaching with authority. What are we dealing with over here? But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out. Be silent, basically shut up and come out. Come out of him. Jesus said one sentence. There was no music. There was no drama. There was no campus uh, campaign uh, organized. There was no publicity. There were no 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people. It was not inner service. It was not part of a ministry. It was not called a deliverance ministry. Jesus saw that between him and that man, and he was going to set that man free. That is why he had come. He says, shut up. Get out. And the demon shook him and the demon screamed and the demon will and the demon went screaming out of it. Today it's ulta. Today there's all the screaming and the yelling and the dancing and the this thing and the that thing and the demon gets, just gets spooked. These people are too crazy for me. I'm leaving. Jesus had authority and Jesus was doing it for a purpose. Just because Jesus did it doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because Jesus did it doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because Jesus had the authority to do it doesn't mean you have the authority. Jesus gave the authority to the, to the 70, sent them out in twos and gave them authority over demons. He didn't give that authority to us. He didn't give that authority to us. He turned to us right at the end and when he was leaving, he says, go into all the world and make disciples. He didn't say set them free. He didn't say heal the sick. He said make disciples. Today we have every ministry except discipling. Check it out. We have everything else. Deference ministry, this ministry, that ministry, healing, signs, wonders, feel the spirit, you know, sense the spirit, all them. But he said to make disciples. Discipline training. Discipline training. I will make you fishers of discipleship. Be silent and come out. The unclean spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. One word from Jesus, a drama from the demon. Today it's the other way around. And they were all amazed. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves. What are they saying? They're talking to each other. I'm like, what is this? Two things. Number one, a new teaching with authority. And number two, he commands demons and they listen to him. He commands demons and they listen to him. They seem to know who he is. We better find out real quick. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Now that was deliverance ministry. Now Jesus is kicking butt and he's 
telling the demons to go take a walk. Now he talks to sickness. He starts dealing with sickness. Sickness is also a result of sin, but it is not caused by sin. Sickness is the result of sin, but it is not caused by sin. sin is not, uh, sickness is not because you did something wrong. Sin is not because you, it's not a punishment for your wrong. So if you're feeling guilty, and if you've been struggling with some sickness in your life, and you're feeling God is punishing me, that's wrong. Whoever taught you that is wrong. That's not what God does. God does not punish sin anymore. God punished Jesus, and the punishment is over. And God is a just God, and God does not punish the same sin twice. And when he covered your sin, he covered all your sin from birth to death, because he did it in advance. And when he did it in advance, he already knew everything you would do. So he doesn't come to you on your 17th birthday and say, but from now on, from now on, I've forgiven you so far, but from now on, he's not like us. He's not like us. He's not keeping score. When he covered his sin, our sin, he covered it from day one to the last breath. He covered it. And he did that thousands of years before. So it was a contract. It was a covering. It was a deal. And when you think about that, you need to think about why sickness then does exist. Now, sickness exists because sin came into the world. It was now disconnected from God. And when it's disconnected from the life-giving force of God, from the light of God, obviously it's going to start corroding. Creation is going to start corroding. So you're going to see a, 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 a deterioration of creation. And the sooner we redeem it, the, so, the better it is. That doesn't mean save the planet. It means save the world. It means save uh, people. And immediately he left the synagogue, entered the house of Simon and Andrew, James and John, Simon's mother-in-law. That means he was married. Good job. Simon's mother-in-law lay, lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told her about it, told him about her, and he came, he took her by the hand, lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. He took her by the hand, the fever left her, she got up, and she began to serve him. What's the spiritual lesson in that? Nothing. That's what moms do. That's what moms do. And the only time they're not serving moms, moms, the only time they're not serving is when they're sick. And Jesus comes in and is like, that's not good. I mean, she makes the best soup in the world. She makes the best curry in the world. We can't have this nonsense sickness in the middle. So you tell, get up, go. You get what I'm saying? God has a purpose for sickness sometimes, but it's not always punishment. It's never punishment and it's not always to teach us a lesson. Sometimes it's just part of the world we live in. And if we believe in the power of Jesus, we can pray with faith and God will heal. Does God heal? Yes, he does. Does God heal everybody? No, he doesn't. Does God heal all the time? No, he doesn't. Does God answer anyone's prayer? Yes, he does. Does God answer every prayer? No, he doesn't. Work it out. Figure it out. It's not about you. It's about God. It's never about you. It's about Your prayer life is not about you. It's about God. Figure it out. Figure this Jesus out and walk humbly, walk closely with him. Simon's mother, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and she's up and she's serving him great soup again. Fantastic. More deliverance. 32. That evening at sundown, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed. Why did they wait till sundown? Why did they wait till the evening to bring? Because it was the Sabbath. 
And you couldn't do anything during the Sabbath. Lifting, nothing. You couldn't do anything. So they waited for the sun to, 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 to set. As soon as the sun set, boom, hospital was open. OPD was open. They brought, started bringing the people to him. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed, he healed many, underline healed many, who were sick and with various different diseases. And cast out many demons. Two things. Healed, cast out. Healed, cast out. That's what the ministry of Jesus was because he was taking back creation because he was the son of God, is the son of man. And he would not permit the demons. To, I find this hilarious. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. There are people sitting in this room who don't know Jesus personally. They're hearing about him like you talk about some other stranger, some other person, he exists. There are some people in the room who don't know him, but demons know him. So there is a world beyond ours, beyond culture, beyond physicality, beyond even the earth. There is a world that's much bigger, greater, beyond 50 dimensions of, 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 of physics. There's a world that's greater in which Jesus is very well known and very well established. And it is, it is, his, it is his, his camouflage in the flesh that has confused everybody. We're not able to figure who he is. Is he a man who's God? Is he a God who's become man? What on earth is going on? But you've got to work it out for yourself. You've got to work it out yourself. Hear his voice and know for him. Know for sure. Don't believe me. Don't believe me. But just say, I went and I heard this bald guy speak. He seemed to be pretty convinced about it and he was pretty excited about it too but I want to know from you Jesus are you who you claim to be I want to know for, from you I want to hear directly from you I don't want to believe in religion I want a relationship with you so if you're there if you're out there if you're real talk to me talk to me I dare you to go one-on-one -on -one with Jesus consider Christ and the whole city was gathered together at the door and he healed many, cast out many demons, did not permit the demons to speak because they knew him, because they knew him. Now, in the midst of all of this, people are like coming to him and they're, uh, they're declaring him a faith healer and a miracle worker. They're getting more excited about the healing, more excited about the demon freedom than actually listening to the message. And in all of this, in chapter one, we're coming to the end of chapter one and he's not getting a chance to give the gospel. Do you remember last week's sermon? Do you remember last week's sermon? He wanted to give the gospel. Because he didn't come to save the planet. He came to save the world. Do you know the difference? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The answer, the redemption is not in fixing the world, fixing sickness, eradicating poverty. The answer is not in cleaning up the air or the environment. The answer is in God's new world. The answer in, is in God's new kingdom. And that is what we have to be preaching. And Jesus was getting frustrated. So he goes back to his father and he has a chit chat. And this is something that he normally does. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. Desolate place, no phone, no network, no disturbance, no ringing bells, no dudwala, nobody. And there he prayed. There he prayed. 
Because his power was in the Father. He had listened to the Father. He was going to follow the word of his Father. The heavens had opened up and there was a partnership between him and the Father and the Spirit of God. And he wasn't going to uh, deviate from that. He departed and went to a desolate place to pray. Could he heal the whole world? Could he change every life? Could he make this world a better place? Probably. But Jesus was without uniting you back to God the Father. All the change is irrelevant. None of the change is of any good if you don't come back to the Father. Every self-help book, every religion, every philosophy, every ideology is wonderful. It's wonderful. It helps change the planet. It helps change people. It helps unite people, unite cultures, unite uh, families. Every religion is, is, is looking for something good. It's trying to make life better. But Jesus didn't come for that. Jesus came for the ultimate change and the complete salvation, the complete redemption of creation itself because that was his, his to do and his to save. So he goes to be with the Father. And that's what it was about. He wanted to be preaching the gospel. He wanted to get people right with God. Sometimes I'm more interested in my non-believing friends to be impressed with my faith and religion than I am interested in getting them right with the God, the father of my faith. Sometimes I have a greater burden to see their problems solved than their eternity secured. And we need to look at Jesus and we need to see what was his priority. He was becoming a big guy. He was becoming popular. Fame had gone through all Galilee and he, was, he, could, he could have made it big. He could, have been, he could have earned money. He could have really written this out. He could have milked the situation for all it's got. But that's not what he was here for. That's not what he was here. Simon, Peter, he started already his drama. Simon, along with all the others, all of them were involved. They came, Jesus, where are you? We're all looking for you. Do you know how popular you are? Do you know how many likes you got? Do you know how, much, how, how many people are waiting in the auditorium there for you? Yeah, you've become very popular. What are you doing alone here with the father? Come on. Are you getting the picture? Are you picking up the sarcasm? And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Jesus doesn't even bother to answer that. He goes straight into verse 38. And we're getting towards the end. So cheer up. Hallelujah. And he said to them, let us go on to the bolo, next towns. That I may what? Preach there also. For, say it loudly like you believe it. For, Why are you on the face of the earth? What is the purpose of your life? Why do you wake up in the morning? Why do you go to work? What is the purpose of your life? How could you possibly answer that question? Hey, everybody's looking for you. The world is looking for you. They want to make you popular. They want to make you a success. What would you say to that? Would you be able to say, stop? No, hang on. That's not what I'm here for. This is what I'm here for. Let's move on. Let's move on. And he said to them, let's go to the next town. And he went throughout Galilee, Preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. Preaching in the synagogues, casting out demons. Before it was healing and casting out demons. Now it's preaching in the synagogue and casting out demons. Because the real enemy is not flesh and blood. 
The real enemy is not philosophy and ideologies and other religions. The real enemy is not people. The real enemy is the wicked one. And he was here to destroy that. He went through our preaching in the synagogues, casting out it. Jesus didn't come to change the world. He came to save it. Push back the darkness. Shine the light of truth. Push back the darkness. Shine the light of truth. Push back the darkness. Shine the light of truth. Both have to be an equal ministry. You pray and then you share the gospel. You pray and then you share the gospel. You, def you, you decap decapacitate the devil and then you share the gospel. You decapacitate the devil and share them. Bring them to church because these four walls, why only church? Because only Pastor Jeremy can tell? No, because when worship is happening in this place, Satan has no authority here in this place. He has no authority here. For this habitation was fashioned for the Lord's presence, no authority here. For one hour, one and a half hours, you have freedom from any demonic, spiritual, ideological, intellectual disturbance. For one hour in the presence of God, with the worship of God and the word of God, people have a chance to turn, reach out and say, Jesus, save me. Listen to me. Heal me. Fix me. A leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling to him. Came to him, imploring him, kneeling him. Came to him, imploring him, kneeling him. He says, if you will, make me clean. If you will, make me clean. If you will, Make me keen. He's just like you and me. Just like you and me. We know God can do it. The question is, will he do it for us? Will he do it for me? Is he willing to do it for me? So Jesus moved with indignation. Jesus moved with indignation. He says, stretch out your hand. And he touched him and said, be clean. I will. I will be clean. I will be clean. And he sternly charged him not to tell anybody. Go get a certificate of your cleansing. That will be a testimony. But that guy doesn't do that. He goes and tells everybody. And because of that, Jesus wasn't even able to enter the town because everybody wanted healing. They didn't want salvation. They wanted healing. They didn't want salvation. They wanted miracles. They didn't want the mission. Are you getting to know Jesus? Are you getting to know him better? As you walk around with him, as you talk to him, as you, as you follow the crowds and you've got your phone out and you're Instagramming Jesus, as you get to know more and more, are you figuring him out here? Are you understanding what he's about? Are you understanding his heart? Are you able to hear his heart? Are you watching him go off to his father? Are you figuring out who this Christ is? Are we beginning to understand who Jesus is? Are you building a, a conviction about Christ? So I... Here's one question that, that I want to leave you with. It's like you're walking there, you've got your phone out, iPhone, and, you, and, you, and you're Instagramming Jesus, and you're looking at the crowds, and you're picking up the smells and the feel of all the crowds, and you're just, this is all so familiar, yet so unfamiliar, and you're watching everything, and finally you come close enough to Christ to kind of get, to be able to at least zoom into plus three, you know what I'm saying? And then as you zoom in, and suddenly you see him look right into your camera, and Jesus turns and he looks right at you. He turns to you and looks right at you, and he says to you, Demon possession, healing, gospel, what do you want? What do you want? What would you have me do for you? What do you need? The leper came, knelt, implored. Came, knelt, implored. He healed many. He cast out many demons. But he looks at you and he's like, what do you want me to do for you? To which your answer is, Father in heaven, 
open our eyes to who Jesus is. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Jeremy Dawson. And if you liked what you just saw, if it was a blessing, then hit the subscribe button. Come on, you can do it. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us. Lots of videos coming your way, songs, worship, encouragement. Come on, subscribe. Let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know. Write a comment in the section below. But let's see you guys again. Come on, subscribe.